For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to the New Testament to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we will begin reading at verse 18 and then into chapter 4 to verse 6. Reading from the word of the Lord, 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, whom you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This truly is the word of the Lord. I direct your attention to two verses that have similar uh, wording in them. First chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. And then in chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 1 John is a letter that deals with truth. It was written at a time when Christian truth was under attack and being undermined. Now, of course, in all times of church history, Christian truth has come under attack. And God's word comes to God's people in a situation where that attack occurs, but it comes to give them assurance. And thus, not only is 1 John about truth, it is also about assurance. It is about how believers can give their hearts and their minds rest in the presence of disturbed hearts and false teachers, doubts and conflicts, attacks from within, and attacks from without. 
These things need to be confronted and combated today, but with what? With the truth. The truth as that is revealed in God's word. And so I want to minister the word of you, uh, word of God to you, uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 4, verse 6, but focusing upon those two verses that I mentioned earlier. 3, verse 20. Notice that God in you is greater than our hearts. And secondly, from 4, verse 4, greater than the one who is in the world. God in you is greater. Now, when God comes into a sinner's heart, a heart that is troubled by sin, God is always greater than that heart, obviously, because regeneration, the rebirth of a person's life, occurs when the Holy Spirit comes, takes out that cold heart of stone, and replaces it with a living heart. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. Now, what the Bible calls here the heart is, at least in this context, something that we might call the conscience, the place where we think about things, we we know certain things, we make decisions about certain things. Uh, the The Old Testament would have used the word heart for that, the mind, the will, shall we say the center of a person's being. Now, we all have consciences. Some are more active than others. Even children have consciences. Mom says a half hour before supper, and there's nice, fresh cookies there in the kitchen. You can smell them. You can see them. But she says to the children, now don't eat any of those cookies before supper. But she leaves the kitchen. And, well, that hand reaches forward and takes a cookie and eats it. Mom comes back. And she notices a cookie missing, and all she has to do is to look at the child with that mom look. And the child blushes, turns away. The conscience is working, reminding the child that I was not supposed to eat that cookie. A simple illustration. Now, a conscience comes from God, and it should be taken very seriously, of course. But now from 1 John chapter 3 we must emphasize the fact that God is greater than the heart. He's always greater than the conscience because over all and above all things is God himself. And he must have the final say about anything in life, even what goes on in our hearts and in our conscience. John is writing about the truth. In verse 18, he says, by this we shall know the truth and reassure our heart before him. Now, being in the truth means living in the truth. This is very clear from Scripture. For truth in the Bible is not at all uh, an abstract collection of ideas. It's not a philosophy that people might sit around and debate and argue over. It's not ideas as such or merely that. In fact, in the Bible, the truth is the entire counsel of God. Truth is all that God has revealed to us about himself, about his creation, about our fall into sin. Truth is God has told us and done for us in redemptive history. And so it's all really one package. For what God has done for us in redemptive history is applied through the power of the Holy Spirit 
into our hearts, consciences, and into our lives. And therefore, truth is not an idea that you discuss. It is something that is lived. But it's only in this way of living out love can there be truth. And then it follows, doesn't it? I mean, just this would follow. That whoever lives the truth of love can reassure his heart and conscience before God. So you can know. You can know the peace of mind and quietness of conscience by putting a stop to lives of lies, of denial, of secretly enjoying those secret sins. The fruit of love lived out, the fruit of truth as that is expressed in our lives is confidence before God because God is love and God is the source of all truth. Now, if that be true, then, brothers and sisters, why do so many people lack peace and assurance today? Why are so many people hooked on, addicted, perhaps, to things that bring them away, take them away from this peace and confidence? Some people are addicted to fun whenever their life gets a little bit rocky or the, the, the boat gets a little bit sailing, is rough. They need fun. They need to get away. They need something, a chemical, just to get away. And in that chemical or in that fun or in that whatever, then they find their peace. Then they find their confidence again. Well, could it be because they fail the simple commandment of loving in deeds and loving in truth and living in truth? For the more that we fail the commandment of love, the more bruised our lives become, the more unsettled our lives become, the more rocky our hearts find life to be. But whoever lives the truth in love will know a confident heart, one that is at peace, now, many people try to live with no awareness of the presence of God. Do you know people like that? They just don't like to talk about God. If God comes up in a conversation, uh, they fall strangely silent or they try to change the topic. Or perhaps if they know that you may bring up God and, and the Christian faith from time to time, they politely avoid you. People may try to get away from a discussion about God but what they cannot get away from is their own conscience. They carry that with them wherever they go. That is that ever-present, always-within-them regulator. Or the, the heart knows. Wicked man knows God really exists. People suppress that truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1, but they know that God really is there and that his word is really true and and when they go against that, their lives are turned upside down. People might, want not, might not want to know about God, but God always knows them, and he knows their heart because God knows everything. You know, some people have very strong hearts. This is what I mean. I'm not talking about, you know, a physically uh, strong um, organ within their chest. I don't mean that. These are the kind of people who hide many sins. 
many faults. They may even hide many sadnesses and sorrows. God knows it. He knows everything. He's greater than the fronts and facades that strong hearts try to portray. He knows what's going on behind those strong fronts. Their hearts may appear to be strong on the outside, and yet when you discover these people and you meet them and you get to know them, quite often they're nothing more than putty inside. There are other people who have very proud hearts. Very proud hearts. They might admit to a few faults, but I really don't have many. I've, I've met perfectionists. Now, I don't mean people who make sure you know, uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed. I mean people who will say, I've heard them say it. Today, I have not knowingly sinned. In fact, in the last six years, I have not knowingly sinned. They say this. Proud hearts. But all you need to do is to have the word of God honestly measure the life with that straight edge. And God can point out the whole host, the myriad of sins that are present in everyone's life. He knows everything faults that we do not want to uh, admit. But then there are other people who have weak hearts, heavy hearts. And that seems to be what John is addressing here. For he talks about whenever our hearts condemn us. Oh yeah, there are people like that as well, aren't there? People who, have, who are so conscientiously sensitive. Scrolls there. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe they heard the word no, 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 you can't do that, you can't do that, no. And eventually the boundaries of their life became so small that they are almost paralyzed and afraid to move. Concerned about the minute details of Christian living. There's nothing wrong in being concerned about the minute details of Christian living, but when it and a paralysis. Life of love and the life in the truth is not possible because our hearts are condemning us left and right. And the joy and the liberty of being a believer, a son and daughter in Christ, is slowly being choked. Become tired. And not just tired, you become tired of it. And when you become tired, then the truth of love and the love of truth drain away. Because you sit, you, you exist with a heart that constantly, constantly, constantly condemns you. People with weak hearts, with hearts and consciences that fall burdened with condemnation. But brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Knows all things. Yes, some consciences may be too sensitive. God knows that. But his knowledge of our heart and the weaknesses within our lives should never be a source of fear for us when we come to God. You know, when we come to God and confess sins, before you utter a word or before you even collect your thoughts. He knows it all already. 
you cannot hide from God. God knows what's going on in our souls, but that's not a reason for our fear and therefore more anxiety. John is called the apostle of love. And he is saying that the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God, is not a source of terror, but it is actually a source of assurance and comfort, not fear. God is inside of all of us. What makes us tick, what, what motivates us, he knows that. And therefore, if you have that spark of love for God, but you find that you're just not able to fan it into a flame, God knows that. He knows our weaknesses. He places underneath us, as the book of Deuteronomy says, the everlasting arms. And those everlasting arms are the tender arms of a father. And they are strong. And they, he will not drop us. He carries you in your weakest moments. For God has made adequate provision for you and for me in an indescribable gift of his Son. This is how God loved the world. Not by adding more and more and more and more and more rules. His word is the direction in our life, but it, the gift of God's love is his Son. And what did his Son, Jesus Christ, do for you and me? He took all of your sins, the first one and the last one, the ones you know about and the ones you don't know about. He took all of those sins to himself. And by doing that, he paid the debt that you and I could never pay. He did it. But more than that, he conquered death by his resurrection. Death, the grave, is not where we are going to end our days, brothers and sisters. It's like going through a door from this, this world with all of its misery. It's a passageway to undescribable bliss in the presence of God. This is God's answer. Gospel. And this is why Christians of all stripes and, and consciences need to hear the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Not believe in yourself. <laughs> what, what is that? You know, Spurgeon put it so well when he said, when I look at Christ, the dove of peace flies into my heart. That's true. When I look at Christ, the dove of peace flies into my heart. But when I look at the dove of peace, when I start looking inside myself, the dove, he flies away. He flies away. And there's that, that, that beautiful tension in the Christian life to keep that sense of peace is not to look within, it's to look at Christ. And Christ as he is presented to us in the gospel, in the word of God. We need the gospel because it's only in the gospel can the burden of guilt be lifted. We need the good news of a God who is greater than our heart. No matter what's going on in that heart, he's greater than our heart, and he knows everything. He knows that. And even when we lose consciousness, we lose sight of that. The finished work of Christ is always before the Father, and he will never forget that. He will always see you washed in the 
But brothers and sisters, John goes on to describe how God is greater in a second way. He is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Now, John doesn't exactly say which person of the truth is. Likely it's the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also said that he would come and dwell with us and be with us to the end of the age. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ always desires to be with us, his children. And that is good, that God is with us, staying close to you. Why? Because there are many phony spirits in this world, and these phony spirits are doing combat with the Holy Spirit. Let the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, while it is still on this earth, be aware that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. While we are here on earth, we remain the church militant, engaged in spiritual warfare against devilish spirits and false prophets. Remember the times in which John lived. Greek philosophy had made its influence uh, throughout the, the eastern Mediterranean area. Typical Greek philosophy, the world of ideas, the world of spirit is good. The world of matter, bodies, is bad. Therefore, those who are influenced by that philosophical mindset, when they come to Christianity, they say, so you're saying that God, a spirit, which is good, And so they, they would say in some versions of their philosophy, well, the Christ spirit was with the man Jesus. But then on the cross, the Christ spirit left the man Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the truth of the word is. Now, many of these people would, in other words, would still be in the grip, therefore, of pagan philosophy. Pagan philosophy and the worship of demons. And sometimes Christians would be dazzled by the appearance of prophecies, even the appearance of tongues. And newer Christians, not deeply rooted in the faith, would sometimes be swept away by these false prophets, believing everything or almost everything that they taught. But this is still true today. The cultures may have changed, but men's hearts have not. Many people are still impressed with this kind of thing today. But you know, very sharp command as he starts chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But rather, do this. Test the spirits. Test them. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now by using that kind of language, he's connecting spirits... To prophets. Because behind every prophet, behind every preacher, behind every charismatic leader, you might say, there is a spirit. It might be the Holy Spirit, or it could be some other devilish spirit. And sometimes in the early church, those still impressed with Greek philosophy 
came into the church as leaders and as pastors. John calls them false prophets. Now notice how in verse 4, 5, and 6, in the original, each of those verses has a very emphatic pronoun. Verse 4, little children, you. He's talking to the church, the readers of this letter. You are from God and have overcome them. Verse 5, they, those false prophets who come among you and teach they are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world. We, John seems to be joining himself with other apostolic teachers, apostolic speakers, and leaders. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us by this. But, uh, you, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See, it a parallel situation emerges today. The prevailing philosophies of modern culture swirl around our heads. You can see them in movies, in books, but especially in the schools and in the universities. This is why a thoroughly Christian education is necessary for you boys and girls, young people. So that your mind is shaped and firmly rooted in a solid knowledge of the Word of God. You see, the spirit of the French Revolution still marches on today. You say, what, what was that spirit? The spirit of the French Revolution was this. We will have no king over us. We will have no God over us. Maybe reason. We can worship reason. We will have no authority ever over us. And let every individual decide for himself and herself what they want. People emerge our times are in the world. They also come into the church. And sometimes people impressed with their ability to teach and speak and lead are impressed with that. Brothers, sisters... Do not believe every spirit. Test them. But some people may say, Pastor Vanderhart, I get such an uplifting experience when I listen to this or that speaker. And I'm not saying you didn't get quite an experience. Here's the question. What is Christian experience? Christian experience is that experience of on the truth, God's truth, the right teaching of the word of God. Don't believe every spirit, my brothers and sisters, because behind every teacher, prophet, speaker is a spirit. Test those spirits. For the spirit of the Antichrist comes, as John says, indeed, that spirit. Now, the truth gives a wonderful experience indeed, but nice experiences can be mimicked, mimicked by evil spirits. And so you have to test the spirits, teachings. Don't experience whatever is the criterion, the test of what truth is. 
Remember, Christianity is not true because it is wonderful. It is wonderful because it is true. It is not true because it is wonderful. It is wonderful because it is true. In John's day, the truth of the Christian faith that was under attack was the teaching of the Incarnation. Did God the Son truly become incarnate? Did he truly take a human nature so that he could be one person with two natures? True God, true man. That was under attack. But today the question is a little bit different. It's this. Did God really say this or that in his word? Is that really what God said? Brothers and sisters, you are the people of God's book, the Bible. And where scripture is truly preached, there the children of God gather. There is the church. And in that church, God lives. In believers, God lives. And God is greater than any evil spirit that is in this world. Therefore, this new season of church education begins. Let us make every effort, every resolution now to make this a a school year, a church school year, a catechetical year, a Bible study year in which you are involved. You say, well, you know, uh, I think I'll pass this year. Let me challenge you to rethink that decision because creation cannot tolerate vacuums, vacuums. For where the knowledge of the word of God is absent, then the other spirits rush in to fill that vacuum. You don't have to tell people to be ignorant they can do that on their own. You do have to encourage each other, as I do today, that you make this a, a, a year in which you once again take up the wonderful word of God to know its teachings. And you say, well, I, I know a lot already. Great, good. Then be refreshed and take it just one step a little bit deeper, a little bit farther as you learn the word of God. And that's why, brothers and sisters, when you have the promise of the gospel that God in you is greater than your hearts, whenever those hearts condemn you, I'm confident about the church as it looks for Christ, as it sees Christ. I'm confident about the church where it tests the spirits as it learns the scriptures and what God is saying in this day and age in which every teaching of the Christian faith is now under attack. I'm confident of the church. Now, I'm not speaking about any one particular denomination, uh, any particular congregation. No, I'm talking about the church that follows God's word, where it follows and listens with faith and obedience. God lives there. And he's greater, stronger, mightier than weak hearts and false teachers. In fact, victory is announced actually in verse 4 of chapter 4. We the world. How? By our cleverness? No. Through God, who is love. Through God, who is greater than all. Through God, who is in us. By grace, through faith. This is great news. Amen.
Let us pray. Gracious God, you have promised to be with us. May that great promise upon which we build our lives and our work, our understanding, as we wrestle with consciences that do accuse us, we pray, gracious God, that we will cling to Christ, that we will love him more, that we will believe him, and that our confidence and our boast will be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bless us throughout this day. Give us that greater faith and confidence in Christ. Give to us that greater knowledge of what your word says. For Jesus' sake, amen.